Thanks for tuning in to the Human Up podcast. My name is Victor Ung, and this is a podcast about developing emotional intelligence, about how to use EQ to expand and deepen our relationships with not only others, but within ourselves as well. How do you better identify with your emotions and how do you better manage them, especially in the moment when we are feeling very strong feelings within us, but how do you manage them and, and respond to them pro- appropriately um, according to the situation? This topic and this 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 desire to understand at least my own emotions has sparked throughout I think throughout like most of my life where I have always been interested in psychology and the way our mind works and the way our emotions play a role in our behaviors and habits. And it's really come to mind recently for myself because of this realization that if I were to continue down the path that I had set myself on, that it would be very stagnant, that it would be um, very comfortable, but it would have been me almost becoming complacent with with my situation, with how I feel, with the relationships I have, with the career I put myself in, with the hobbies I pursue, because of the fact that I was chasing so much comfort around my life, that so much to that where I would avoid any discomfort. And that was definitely very true with my emotions and how I felt. Of course, you know, things like anger and sadness and, and loneliness or um, even admitting or, or being vulnerable to confusion and being lost about like the fact that I didn't know what I was doing or what I wanted to do or or how to ask for help or to deal with the areas of my life that I could definitely improve on. Um, just even, you know, managing those emotions or being able to express them was very much lacking within my life. In, in high school, I, and, and this, you know, might be very true for a lot of teenagers. Um, but, uh, I was very repressed or, or didn't know how to communicate what I was feeling. Um, but I know I would feel things, you know, I know I would feel pain and hurt and, um, but just not knowing how to identify it or, or talk about it, I contained it all within myself and I would just sit and just cry, you know, almost seemingly out of nowhere. And, I love my friends for allowing this space for for letting me be emotional to to sit with these feelings. But there was definitely something there where I would have these emotions, I would feel things and and it, it wanted to come out, but because there were so many, you know, limiting beliefs and so many factors that had blocked me from being able to feel comfortable talking about it it just it just spilled out it just leaked and and caused a mess instead so kind of heavy but um i i it was a very true moment for me and that's why i've been on this path to 
better understand even myself, right? Like what was causing me to hold myself back and, and really speaking my truth or expressing myself? Like why wasn't I able to be comfortable in that discomfort, especially within my emotions? And there are definitely a lot of layers to it. Um, I, and I think one really big part of it is our perception of what it means to be a man. And for me, especially as I was very susceptible to want to, you know, blend in and, and belong with all the other guys. And so very much mimic their behavior, very much, you know, tried to be that tough, you know, strong, borderline emotionless guy in order to, to not show weakness, to, to be tough, you know, for other men and other women around me to, to attract certain women around me. Right. And that, that perception of having to always have it all together to always, you know, um, be this, this rock was, you know, something I do still very much value. Of course, I, I do want to, like, everybody needs a rock to lean on, right? Everybody needs a, a strong person to, to, to lay a foundation against. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can't have your own rock to lean on as well, whether that be within yourself or with other people within other support with other men with other women and so anyway this this perception of masculinity of what it meant to be a man uh had limited me in in who I can be or who I thought I should be and I had a really cool conversation uh with with another good friend of mine that I've recently got really close with over the last year Brian Shirley and he, uh, you know, he definitely has a really good perspective. I'm, I'm excited to share this episode with and this conversation together that I recorded with him a, a while ago, actually. Um, but finally got around to, you know, listening through it and, and, um, creating an episode out of it. So this has been a really cool conversation about emotional intelligence and men and relationships, and I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, we'll just dive right into it right after a message from my sponsor. First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that I've honestly been cultured and, and kind of pressured to, to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without Anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to, to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a, a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and, and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. 
have you always valued emotions, I guess, in the same kind of way of intellect or, or knowledge? Anyway? No, I don't think I did growing up. Yeah. Um, I think, too, you know, that being dudes, I think it comes yeah. back to that as well, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff we're told, you know, to produce and be certain things and act certain ways, and emotions aren't always at the high part of that list, depending on who raised you, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was certainly in that category, like, my father's not a particularly emotional fella, um, but I learned early on that I kind of was, Mm -hmm. and I suppressed a lot of it to, you know, to, to fit in or whatever. But now, like when I'm upset, I'm going to be upset about something. Yeah. It's just, I know there's value. Like my brother is very monastic and spiritual and he like, you know, is very in control of all his emotions. And I think that's wonderful, but I don't think we have them to not feel them right. To like yeah. not let them out sometimes yes. and see what comes out. Yeah. So that's, wow. I think being dudes, toxic areas of masculinity there affect that a little bit too right so no i don't think i think if you interviewed 10 guys eight would say emotions are lesser than intelligent yeah. intelligence right yeah actually and and i read like a uh, an article or something online so like emotions and intelligence were never meant to be together it doesn't make sense they right. don't belong together um and it's like it, you can't even think of like there's not even a real hierarchy of it yet right like who's going to yeah. be the first emotionally intelligent person yeah. uh, wizard or whatever so, like the most yeah. reputable emotionally right, intelligent right, right. guy like you bring him into a room and he's just like i see all of it yeah <laughs> i guess there have been a lot of people who studied that from now like a lot of people say bill clinton was very emotionally intelligent hmm. very kind of in a in a charming kind of way yeah um uh i think i can't remember if i think fdr was one um but like steve jobs was not right? steve like, jobs was not the yeah. opposite terrible right terrible that, right but. yeah but you need both to make great companies sometimes right. or leave legacies. It's interesting. Um, right. But so, yeah. And I, and I, I wanted to go back to like how the kind of the toxic parts of masculinity too does affect that. Like how, how do we, how did we, first of all, do you think kind of fallen into that in, in the toxic sides where we were, where we thought that we couldn't kind of show or express our emotions um, yeah. Like where's the genesis of that mentality? I guess so. Yeah. I think you gotta go. I know that's going to be hard to answer. Well, I think you, I mean, I think you can kind of pinpoint, like, if you really look at the Americana time, right? Like, world, you know, baby boomers, like World War II, I think a lot of those soldiers, there's such a, uh, a mindset of duty. Yeah. Right. And sacrifice. Yeah. And I think men in general, men, I think are, are only valued if you produce something. I think. Right. Women are inherently valued because they're women and right. they're beautiful and they're, you know, <laughs> they do a lot of awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. But men, like, we're only valued if we produce something, right? So I think there is the first thing that's got to go hmm. is, like, hmm. stop attaching being a man to having to make a living or, you know, like, run yes. a household or something. Like, I think that's so true. I think we are a lot of us, and not just men, too, actually, that we're just so outcomes-based. Mm -hmm. um, like. But it is more prevalent in men, I guess, because we, we want those those measures of success or achievements or, you know. Yeah, I think men, too, you know, like one of the interesting stats I learned lately is like a man who's unqualified for a job will apply for it anyway. A woman won't. Yeah, I read about that, too. And yeah. it's like that's fascinating to me because it's like, you know, that's a, such a mental yeah thing right like why do we feel okay doing that and why wouldn't they like that wouldn't even cross my mind that like oh, whatever I'll throw it over the fence. What's to lose? Right. Like. There's just so much emotional complexity there, I think. And I think that on a you know, heavy note is why all the shootings are boys and, and men uh, mm -hmm. because we have really have a hard time 
women have had the benefit of having their gender explored for like the last 50 years. Yeah. And now we're getting to a point with women where I think they're figuring out what it means to be a woman and all the flavors they're in. But like men, we have not had the benefit of that exploration because frankly, we treated women so poorly that they were a priority. Mm. And now I think it's time we look at, look inward a little bit. And I mean, I hope when I have kids, there's a lot of new ways to parent and raise men. Wow, there's a lot. Wow, there's a lot in there. Uh, <laughs> it's like four episodes. Yeah. yeah, when I have kids, we'll do another one. Yeah, and then yeah. we'll do just like a we'll do like a disc set. It'll be like a yeah. twelve disc set. There you go. Because they'll have discs in the future. I'm sure yeah. I can feel discs coming back. So you're gonna make discs come back? <laughs> yeah. Maybe like a virtual one that they just like plug into their yeah their augmented watches. That's I sharp. guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so in a way that we've maybe had all these kind of men uh, not being good with their emotions and whatnot, but yet still have achieved a such high level and, and be able to manage so many people. Is that maybe that combination of like having so much power and not know how to emotionally handle it is why we're having so many kind of social problems now with, you know, the, our, our, our leadership and in, in general. Yeah. I think, that's, <laughs> I think, un, I think unbridled, uh, you know, even unbridled um, motivation and things like that that make people successes by that standard, right? Like, yeah, that's that's wonderful. But if they're if they're leaving people in their wake emotionally, that will that will come back to haunt your legacy. I think so. I think we're seeing more of that now than maybe ever. I agree with that. Yeah, um, power for power's sake. But I, to I mean, to your point, like Steve Jobs ran Apple, and like right. he was a, he wasn't exactly a people guy. Like he was right. a terrible people guy. And then and then yeah, that's another thought I had is like, how, is there so maybe there is some benefit actually to not have <laughs> that maybe too much emotional intelligence. I think it, it's got to be a scale that tips right. Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you have so much emotional IQ, like I think a good way to phrase that of you know empaths, right? Like yeah, Natalie is an empath, and so like she can like feel the anxiety on me when I'm anxious and it makes her anxious. So it's like, not everybody's like that. I think that's the far end of that spectrum too, is like, you're so emotionally involved that, you know, you can't pull your head out of everybody else's emotions to identify your own or make progress in any way. So it's like, you have to have some sort of seesaw balance. Right. I actually was listening to another like podcast where it was about this, this woman who was super empathetic where I think it would almost like in a way a superpower because she could like feel like literally feel this and like the feelings of someone else feet away, like somebody uh, such a long distance away. And uh, she couldn't, she had to like seclude herself. She had to like stop being around people. And I was like, huh? Wow. Yeah. So there is definitely that extreme of being too empathetic or, or emotionally intelligent where it could kind of limit you as well. Well, if you're, you, and also, I mean, I think if you're really emotionally intelligent, I think it's probably safe to say that you're probably very selfless, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't think we can go through life being empathic or being highly emotional, intel, highly emotionally intelligent and feeling everybody else's emotions and then ignoring them, you know, like that. Right. I think that's really hard to do. I think it's way easier to try and help people at that point, right? Like if you're yeah. feeling what everybody's putting down. Like my dad doesn't see anybody's emotions, so he has no idea how to help them. Right. But it's like the more information you're given, if you ignore it, I think you have an accountability to try and use that to make people better. So, um, what is, how is, how's your dad now? Kind of, are you kind of talking about that? Yeah. Um, pretty, um, interesting cat. Uh, 
pretty standard beaver cleaver childhood but like he's a delta pilot military guy very much bound by principle and duty and effort Mm -hmm. you know all the classics um those dad phrases that you just love builds character all that shit (laughs) yeah um and he still struggles um he still struggles to be emotionally empathetic and he is in my mom's marriage is a great representation of what that will do they're just two roommates um probably talk once every couple weeks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's like when we go home you know we feel like we're being interviewed by them but they're never talking to each other and it's like yeah. They have been so emotionally, or he's been so emotionally unintelligent with her that everything is cloaked in bitterness. So, like, you, we all have to try. Like, you can't yeah. not try. It may not be a gift you have. Yeah. You have to try. Like, learn, you know, learn something on that front. Like, yeah. empathize. And, like, she had, my mom had cancer, and I never felt like my dad tried to meet her where she was at there. Like, understand what she was going through on a day-to-day basis. And so all those things just break it break down a good marriage or break down a good relationship of any kind business or personal right yeah so i think it's like saying i'm a bad driver it's like oh i'm a bad driver haha it's like that's a fucking terrible excuse <laughs> go work on it like yeah, you can yeah, be yeah, a better yeah, driver yeah. right like you can't just throw in the towel like that who does that don't give up emotionally either find outlets to be more emotional i think that's actually uh, that's super key like right we kind of use a lot of negative language and and then assume that that's that that's who we are that we use that to identify right with and like especially with like I don't know what example I'm thinking of is like we see some kind of rich person who's like, oh, we'll never be like them. Right. Like we, we can never achieve that success or, you know, but like, yeah, but you saying so is, is solidifying it more. Right. And what we practice grows stronger. I love that quote. Like every day, what we practice mm, mm, grows yeah. like a and muscle. That works positively and, and negatively. And if you yeah, practice yeah. the mindset that you're not going to get better at something, you're sure shit not going to. I like that. What we practice grows stronger. stronger. Yeah. My, my spiritual brother told me that <laughs> he's good for some quotes every now and then that one. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, that's been sticking on my mind lately as I wake up, I'm like, okay, what am I going to practice? Yeah. You know, like what am I going to grow Yeah. from a mental state, from a physical state, you know, um, all that stuff. I think it's, it's really cool to at least motivating in a way too. If, if you can like shift that for me, I've been trying to still figure that out because Honestly, I do struggle with a lot of the, the negative thoughts a lot where and it gets like it gets to be almost like addicting to to like believe them. So but like knowing that saying like it doesn't it's just a thought. It's not a fact. It's it's something that you can observe, but it doesn't have to be the truth. Um, and then if you can kind of like, you certainly practice. can't guilt yourself for it either. Right. Cause then guilt, yeah. guilt becomes like the yeah, guilt makes it I all the more insurmountable and embarrassment. Exactly. Right. And then you combine that with being a man and being expected to be okay with it all. And like, just conquer everything. And it's like, you know, you're just not going to be good at everything. And it's like, nobody wants Is it. that maybe a masculinity thing? Is that a thing where like, oh, as a guy, like we have to make sure we're, we're always, I just think we're inherently more competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you always have to be, you know, like, they, it was, it's kind of related. Like, I was listening to Colin Calhart, he's a sports commentator, and he was talking about how quarterback faces a thing on the playground as kids. The most attractive kid gets the football because the guys think he's cool, the girls think he's cute, and oh, he wow. becomes the quarterback his whole life because he was the wow. most attractive kid on the playground. Yeah. It's like stuff like that, like yeah, yeah. inherent competition and, like, looking up to those sorts of standards is kind of, you know, leading us down some weird roads nowadays. Very true. Wow. 
I didn't needless to say, I did not have quarterback face. I, I had <laughs> a face like a football as a child. So I was, I was often the, the ball. <laughs> the ball was being tossed around. Uh, Pretty brutal. <laughs> elementary school. Wow, yeah. And that's what we've learned. Yeah, I think that's what we've learned, too, is uh, you get really into the emotional element of people and the embarrassing side of people when you do the resume stuff, right? Like, that's mm. that's when I get into people... Um, you know, and ask them what this gap means in their resume. Like that's, you have to be pretty emotionally savvy there to know when to step off. Yeah. And not to know when to ask and how to ask, right? Like there's a way to ask a question that's a good way and a bad way. Mm -hmm. And so when you're consulting people on areas of personal pride Mm -hmm. and when they're coming to you out of personal lows, right? Like we realized pretty early that our business was predicated on people's pride right? to say, I'm not good enough at this. I need help. And that's hard. Whether you're a company that has developers, you don't want to bring in a, a, a company like ours, or you're a person and you don't want you don't want somebody to look at your resume. Yeah. Because, damn it, there's a billion sources. Why can't I figure this out? Exactly. And so I think that's where the emotional side comes in is to, to A, show the gaps, but also build them up to where they feel like, you know, we can enable you to not have to need us anymore. You'll do this one time and then you'll be good. And that's our biggest thing is we don't want, pe- we don't want repeat customers. I don't want you to come back for me for a new resume every time. I want you to have learned how to write one. Mm-hmm. And be good to go. Yeah. Wow. I, storytelling. Yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that. Like, well, yeah, definitely. A certain. It, it's a lot of delicacies there. Yeah, and it's uh, like you know we'll have people come in and I'll do the free assessment, and I'll find you know six errors or whatever, six things I would improve, and they're like, okay, thanks. You know, no, I'm not going to pursue any services mm-hmm. or whatever, but thank you, and that's fine. It's what we do the thing for. Mm-hmm. And then like a year later, they'll come back and say, hey, you know, I haven't had any luck. So it's like. You have to. You can't tell people stuff till they figure it out. Yeah. But that's an emotional. That's an emotional thing too. Is how right. to gauge that. I think that's the biggest thing. Is is maybe sometimes you can't help people who don't want to be helped. They have to kind of like be at a position to come to terms with themselves first for them to come to you, right? Yeah. You can't give a patient medicine who doesn't admit they're sick, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't. I can mm-hmm. tell you six ways to Sunday, but until you go and interview for a year and get no phone calls. Then you'll come back. And it's great. Sometimes it's really funny to hear their excuses as for why. You yeah. know, it's like, well, you know, I just haven't found something that pays enough. It's like, I don't think you found anything at all. I don't think anybody's called you. <laughs> yeah, but they want to make a bigger excuse. Yeah, but, right. Oh, that, that's, that's, a, sound, that's a good excuse to make, right? Like, that yeah. makes you sound successful. Exactly. Like, we posted on our Instagram feed this week. Um, you know, it was like a guy's profile picture on LinkedIn. It says, real life, unemployed. Is the actual title that he should have. But on LinkedIn, it's like blockchain enthusiast, career motivator, <laughs> like all separated by brackets, you know, like all that shit you yeah. see on LinkedIn. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's where we've become. It's like, we can't even admit to the internet that we're out of a job. Yeah. You know, it's like we, our, our reputation online and stuff like that is so, so important. And when you deal with people, we've had some clients that have been working for 30 years and to cut the last two pages of their resume is like cutting their arm off. Like, how can you take away all these accomplishments I did in 92? And I'm like, because nobody fucking cares anymore. Because I was one when you did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why does that matter to me? Yeah. And like some people, you just cannot convince that a long resume is not the answer. And like, it's it's pretty, it's like you're actually hurting them to say this is not important anymore. Yeah. Because sometimes people hang on to that stuff more than their other, if they don't have a ton of satisfaction in, you know, other elements of life that piece of paper is the sum total of their accomplishments. And you're like, these don't matter anymore. I guess if I were to see that too, from my perspective, like bring somebody on, I I would say, I would think that like they're holding on to something 
so far in the past and, and not having have valued what they recently went through or like right. learned and, and and you know you get to that point with people and they're very tough to coach yeah because it's their baby and yeah. um we've had a couple of clients that you know like never reached back out to us after we gave them the you know a three three uh revisions i did for them or whatever like spent multiple times on the phone with them going through and they had these absurd requirements and i'm a consultant so it's like i'll take i'll order take a little bit but i will challenge you and say you know i haven't in my experience i love that in my experience mm-hmm. i haven't yeah. seen you know that this yeah. matters but it's like they still need the they want the paragraph at the top and then they're always like oh let's put 25 plus years in in technology and i'm like hey you know what that says I'm old. Yeah. Don't hire True. me. Always put 10 plus years. Nobody yeah. cares. 10 plus years is a perfect number because yeah. it's like, what? I, I don't know. I'll pick up the phone and call you. Yeah. 25 plus years. He's in his fifties. Next. Mm. Wow. I'm, Coupled I'm, with a Tolkien size resume. Yeah. No fucking way they're going to call you, dude. All right. I'm just going to bring my resume to you now. You're giving me yeah. some shameless self-promotion. You're literally giving me a <laughs> megaphone here to talk about how great we are. So yeah, if you guys want to check out Pursuit and Tide, it's, uh, what was it? Pursuitandtie.com. Pursuitandtie.com. <laughs> That's right. Running offices out of Seattle and Atlanta. Coast to coast with cheese and toast. Professional services for all your resume, cover letter, and interview prep needs. Success is a service. I worked on it before the podcast. I worked on it, dude. I was like, if he gives me a go, I'm going to take it and make a comment on PT. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. I mean, because there's so many topics to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. All I know is my own experience. So we have sales and then I do the side business and then I'm married. And those are the three yeah, biggest true. emotional needs that I have. We can definitely get to the marriage, but I want to, or do you, would you rather talk about that now or when Natalie's here? I'd rather talk a little bit about it now. <laughs> okay. Have, um, we can, you can parse content as appropriate. <laughs> okay. If that's well, fair. And that's probably better for my marriage. <laughs> no, I kid, of course. But yeah, being a married guy, have you interviewed folks on that element specifically? No, actually. Yeah. So that, this will be a uh, first. Yeah. We are the only married group in our, or married couple in our like bigger friend group too. I've noticed okay. not yeah. a ton of other yeah. couples, maybe one or two. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely, so, and so like how, and for like, how long have you been married now? So I met my wife first year or first week of freshman year of college. And we dated continuously since then. Um, by the end of the first month of school, we were dating and we dated all through college. And then after college, we never broke up. So I've been with college Natalie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been, I was the least interesting fraternity guy. <laughs> so it was like super monogamous <laughs> in bed by 10. Um, no fun. Um, no. So it was, We've been together for nine years and uh, all married for three on Halloween. So it's yeah, been... Which is coming out. Yeah. yeah, dude. And like uh, it's three years now. I've got like a good feel for the whole thing. You know, got a little handle on this whole operation. That's uh, awesome. Figuring it out a little bit more every day. But that's the fun part about it is you move and everything changes. It's like how does, you know, here's marriage. What does marriage mean when you move? Yeah. What does marriage mean when you have kids? Like it just... The definition right. of it changes the whole time, but the underlying self-sacrifice and stuff does not. Do you think having the different experiences with that, like having to move, having to go through big kind of changes in life and so together has a huge part of it? I, um, yeah, marriage. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like for us personally, moving from Georgia to Seattle was, I think, the best decision we've made as a couple because it's like everything we've made here is organic, right? Like I haven't. Yeah. None of my, none of my friends are because my dad's was golf buddies with their dad or something, right? Like everything we've built here, our life, hell you in my living room is like organic, right? Like we just, it just worked out. We Mm -hmm. put the effort in, we met people, we shook hands and 
you know, we have a lot, lot of room to grow. We've only been here a year or so, but um, I think for one year, the life we build is pretty spectacular. And that's, that's a testament to Nat and I's marriage, I think, because we're both yeah. able to pull each other out when we don't want to go out or, you know, have time together when we don't need to be socializing. Because you feel when you move, you have to socialize all the time, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, well, what if I don't meet this person? And that's like, you know what? They're probably just another person. You know, like you never know. Right. So it's like, I, and me, socializing is an activity, is recreational. For Natalie, as an introvert, more yeah. introverted person, it's a task. Yeah. <laughs> right? So like, that's a huge thing. That was the biggest emotional learning curve for me uh, after we got married. Yeah, yeah. Especially when I worked from home for a while. You only found that out kind of after you married? or I knew that she was like that, but like she had a roommate. I had a roommate out, out of college and in college and stuff. So like our social circles kind of percolated in the yeah. background. Yeah. And then when you share it, yeah. And initially, I felt like I was carrying too much of our social load because every plan we made was mine. Mm. And so then she was like, fine. You know, she, her, to her credit, she brought a ton of friends and stuff into the mix after we got married in the Metro Atlanta. And we had a ton of fun blending those circles together. But then there's also the emotional side of like, she teaches children that are, you know, 10 all day and then comes home. She's not going to want to go have drinks every night. Yeah, like, yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah. I get that. And that yeah. took me a while to get. Whereas, right. like, me, I'm here alone with the two fucking cats all day. Like at five o'clock, I want to go have a beer. You know, like I want to go talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. So I understand how moms who stay at home with their children are like, can we talk to an adult now, please? Like something. <laughs> Cause it just, you know, I, I know way too much about our leasing manager. I know way too much about the intricacies of the hallways of this apartment building. I'm here too much. So I'm thrilled for that new office. Cause I get to go in now, yeah. but it's like, yeah. you know, emotionally I've had to really, understand and empathize with Natalie's need to not be social. And that's been huge for me. And it's been tough because I could do it every night of the week forever. Yeah. So it's a good, and she, you know, it's hard. It's, it's difficult too. Cause it's like, Hey, can, do you want to be social tonight? No, let's just hang out the two of us. Okay. And then also not project on that person that being with them is not an equally exciting option. Right. Like right. I think Natalie thought it was like, go out or hang out with Natalie. And it's not. They're they're both even. It's even like they both satisfy different things. It's like I not that I don't love spending time with my wife. Sometimes, sure, you know, the <laughs> scales tip either way. But to say that they're you know unequal is obviously not the way you want the person to feel when you stay in with them. Yeah. So that was another learning curve. Um, marriage is really the biggest exercise in learning I've had in my life. Obviously, outside of college, outside of everything else. Because you tie yourself to a person emotionally, financially, you know, mm-hmm. physically here in this in this apartment, all this stuff, and it's not a lot of space. And then you had a micro lifestyle in a new city. You can't not learn doing over. Yeah, there. yeah. But that's super cool that you're very like that you're open to be learning, right? Like you're like yeah. you're very adaptable in that sense. I think a lot. Uh, if, you know, any of the listeners are husbands, uh, and if they're good ones, they know that that's the first step is to listen and and to always be willing to take on something new or be willing to own up to something you did that was shitty. Yeah, and that's emotionally tough. Again, as men too, right. I think. Right. You know, I like the, I watched my dad be like a very stern patriarch. Mm. So it's like, you know, I'll, we're on one checking account, like very traditional in that nice household. So like, you know, I run all the books and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, at that point, there's opportunities to make the other person feel involved and like they're helping with those things. And I, I try and take them wherever I can because it's important to make sure. And like that does the same thing for me when she needs me. She lets me know, you know, it's good to be needed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can be so, you know, like you can be good at life or whatever. But you can leave your partner in the dust because they don't feel like they can help you at all. And like 
my mom told me that one of the happiest times she was in my parents' marriage was when my dad was sick over Christmas because he needed her every day. Oh, wow. And I was like, holy shit, what does it mean he needed? Right. So it's wow. like Natalie's like, don't do all the vacuuming. Don't clean the whole house yeah. so that when I come home, there's nothing to be done because, like, I like carrying my weight around the house. Whereas, like, dude, it's 600 square feet. I can Swiffer this place <laughs> in one Post Malone song. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm done. So, you know, it's it's nothing to me. But it's like you leave stuff because of this contributions. We have to, you know, it's producing together. Wow, that's a good observation for you to have to, like, to like almost even – Allow someone else the opportunity to to provide, and I think it's it's directly tied to the way my life has taken me and my mm-hmm. parents were honestly mm-hmm. like if I didn't see that need of my mom and like you know just her begging for my dad to ask for her advice, yeah, or like Karen, I'm up late at night because I can't sleep. I don't know how to handle this. I've never heard my dad open up to her like that at all. Right, right, right. It's no wonder their marriage is no good. But it's like I try and you know I learn from that. And so when it's Natalie, I tell her when I'm upset. I tell her when I'm anxious. My buddy and his wife. He laid his head on her lap for four hours in their living room and they discussed whether he should keep his job at Google and move to a startup. And it's like, that's, that's the good shit. That's why you do it. That's what it, that's what love is. That's what marriage is. And that's, that's yeah. And to have that, I don't know, sounding board back and forth. Right. That's super important. I'm hyping it up, dude. You got to make it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dang. Okay. I gotta go find me a wife. Yeah. Well, (laughs) in sales, you know, I can't help it put a spin on it and there's downsides too there's some emotional things on the other end that you learn being married right that you there's a there's a, a new level of sacrifice demanded of you um, not only from doing the things you want to do but also you know prioritizing the other person's feelings over your own and being willing to listen process and understand them even when you disagree with them on something mm-hmm. right so it's like that's hard too is you also i think one of the biggest things that and i have learned is how to how to argue with each other like when we first got started it was like we just put spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And like now she knows exactly how I tick. She knows exactly the kind of stuff to bring me that makes me interested. Mm-hmm. If she brings me like only empathy on an issue, I need I need some facts because facts, right. numbers to me are everything, right? Like they have no agenda. But Natalie's side, I know that if I come in with, you know, the Excel spreadsheet of here's the reasons why, you know, you're wrong on this. No, no good. Yeah. You got to tie it to personal experience. You have to tie it to empathy. You have to put it in a way that makes her think of the human side of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we've both studied each other and how we like to fight. And now we're really good at arguing with each other, pissing the hell out of each other. <laughs> but it's great, though, because she'll like, you know, compared to two years ago, I was like, I was like, prove me wrong. Go out there and do research. And she used to hate it. Yeah. She's like, I hate it when you say that. And I'm like, that's because you don't want to do it. And now she'll come back and she'll have all her shit ready before we even get into it. And it's intimidating at times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've progressed to a new species. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, Dude, yeah. We're, and that's, I learned a really interesting thing about marriage in general is people change about six times in their marriage. You know, from when they get married to when they die. They change as people, like, in a lot of ways, about six different times. I don't know how they collected that data. I'd be curious. But that's where the divorces are at those changing points. For me, that for me actually, that's... To be honest, like one of the the insecurities or like uncertain of that uncertainty, right? Like um, when you don't like you expect change, but you don't know how it's going to affect the relationship or like if you're going to be okay with that. Is that something you at least worry about, or do you just found like you you trust her to a certain point that? I think it's I think from the emotional IQ perspective it's it's a layer cake right like it's definitely trust Mm -hmm. but to me and this is what I love about our relationship is all that other stuff changes but the relationship the union the 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 
like the love that Nat and I have is it's so cheesy, but it's like a crock pot, you know, it's like not, not the fireworks that it used to be when you first meet somebody, right? Like it's not sexy. It's a low boil, but it's there all the time and it's meaningful and it's been mm-hmm. going for a long time. It's going to go for a lot longer. And so it's like, there's so many layers to that, that when we do change, I think if you're willing to remember that and fight for that, no matter what, make that your top priority, the rest of the stuff is okay to work out. If all of a sudden she, you know, doesn't like Harry Potter anymore, like we'll move past that as a household. You know, that would be Natalie being a totally different person. Yeah, for, yeah. for example, like that's a all of a sudden she loves, yeah, she like loves nonfiction. Yeah, and like reading autobiographies. Okay, that's a completely different Natalie. <laughs> we'll figure it out. But like, again, you know, I think that's what a lot of men suck at is fighting for that, you know, prioritizing and fighting for that relationship over mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. And like we have to eat, we have to, we have to swallow our, you know, our pride. And that is hard. Pride and embarrassment to me are some of the most interesting emotions that affect us in the most devastating ways. Was there maybe a moment in your life that, that you like, funny you should mention that. Yeah. So <laughs> I actually had a, uh, I actually had a buddy and you know, he's like in all my pictures of my wedding and we were friends for eight years before that. And then about a year after the wedding, he, you know, lost his job and I had, you know, I'd helped him find that one. And, you know, a couple before, and I think I don't know because he hasn't spoken to me since it's been like two and a half years. But, um, you know, he just texted me. He's like, hey, I need to do this myself. Bye. And basically, like, cut me out of his life completely. And, like, that was an emotional, yeah. like, whirlwind for me. Because this was, like, one of my best friends. Thick yeah. as thieves. Unbelievable guy. Yeah. Such a great time. But, like, for a lot of reasons. And he had, you know, had a lot of deceit in there and lied to us and stuff. And kind of, on paper, treated me like a piece of shit. But it's like, he's After you had already... I, I like, realized this, realized you know, hindsight, yeah. but like I had realized it as this was going on, this whole, it's, you know, this is nine episodes, this whole diatribe, but he, uh, we haven't spoken in a long time. And it's, yeah. you know, that is pride and embarrassment because the more that that goes on, the more he feels he can't talk about it because it's another day goes by that he's been made that bad choice to not reach out and fix it. Whereas like if he had done it within two days we're good. And now I'm so far past it. I would fly across the country to hug him again. If he's listening, you know, <laughs> Jackson, I will come hug you. dude. I love you still, man. I miss you, buddy. Um, but like, it's been a long time since we've spoken and he's like getting engaged to a girl that Natalie set him up with. And neither oh, of us are in the wedding. And like, oh, she hasn't man. spoken to her. He hasn't spoken to me. It's so weird, man. And like, if I could write a book on like the weirdest experience of my life, it's like how we became not friends. There's, there's nothing that you could think of. No, man. All I did was help the guy, gave him everything. The only thing I can think of was I called him out on lying to me, bold faced for about a year. He told me he was in college and he was not in college. He was not enrolled in any school and took all his parents' tuition money and spent it dicking around. So like super bad stuff. (laughs) But that's why you have a buddy who's like, hey, man, I'm fucking up. I need your help. And not. But I understand. Like it made me appreciate what it is to be embarrassed. And then we moved to Seattle. And I get to know a good buddy and about six months into hanging out with him, he won't talk to me for two months and like backs out of trip plans we had made together after I paid the money and stuff and like wouldn't text me back. And I was like, I'm not not going to fight for it this time because I never went to Jackson's house and I never beat his door down other than one time. And so I went to this guy at work and I was like, dude, what's going on? And like we fixed it, you know, but he was like, nobody's ever come to my work. Nobody in my life has ever done that, you know, like gone out of their way to salvage relationships. So it's like it's not marriage, but it's the same thing. You fight for what matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, because he was so embarrassed and just built on it every day. He didn't talk to Ryan and Natalie. He was like, shit, I'm going to lose these two now because and then you get you add, you know, depression and anxiety in there. Too much, man. So 
a lot of weight to that conversation. That, right? Yeah, that, it's got some yeah. magnitude. To it. <laughs> the, I think one of the most emotionally intelligent people. This is a topic to pursue as well. Is like this is the guy I would put. I would revere if we're going to talk about the Mount Rushmore of emotionally intelligent people. Mister Rogers. Mister Rogers. I know. The I will know. you be my neighbor thing was awesome because he treated every to watch that. He treat his whole premon- his whole theory that children's emotions are just as have just as much magnitude as complexity as yours and mine. Like that's still radical, right? Like kids, right. Like kids sad. Oh, he's sad, right? Like to your right. point, what flavor? We don't give a fuck. He's right. a kid, right? Yeah, but yeah. like to know it's that like a, he doesn't know. Yeah, but yeah. the kid does know, and he knows all the elements. I may not be able to communicate it as well, but it certainly is real. If you look at people like Mister Rogers, he's still considered a pioneer, and it's. You know, been forty years since the show ran. Thirty years Have since the show. Have you seen his movie, his documentary? Yeah, that's what prompted oh, my thought. Because like thinking yeah. the most emotionally intelligent guys, it was him. Oh man, I, I should really watch that. Yeah, okay. I put, <laughs> put Mister Rogers up there, right? Yeah, probably him. I'm going to throw Jesus up there. I think Jesus. You can't have 12 disciples follow you around like that and um, still hang out with you after that you tell them to eat your flesh and blood if you're not at least a little emotionally in tune with it. Um, so got Mr. Rogers, got Jesus, quite the spread. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think, too, though, I think, too, you could consider a lot of people that did a lot of wrong as very emotionally intelligent. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hitler had to be very emotionally intelligent to know how to manipulate people. Exactly, because right? there's an evil to being very highly emotionally intelligent, actually. Right. You do carry a weight as an approachable person when people burden you with their, you know, dump their soul on you and stuff like that. That's a lot. You can do a lot with that. You can really fuck someone over with that. So it's like if people are if people are comfortable enough around you to share those very vulnerable things, mm-hmm. there's a responsibility there, I think, to, sure. to respect that. Yeah, I think the Spider-Man quote is not. Yeah, is, that's good. I'm yeah. glad you brought it up because I was thinking about it. Um, so, okay, so I've got two. I've got Jesus, Mr. Rogers. And then probably Edward Bernays, like the guy who founded um, modern advertising and the way we, you know, have like subtle manipulation in our commercials to affect our behaviors. That was like Bernays, I believe. Okay. So like he's like the father of PR and like the father of clever advertising. Mm. Fact check me. But if that's the case and I'm right, put him on the fucking. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I've got Jesus, Edward Bernays, Fred Rogers. And then my last one. Um, he's an up and comer in the field, but I sense that in time he'll be the most emotionally intelligent person on the planet. Victor Ung, you may know. <laughs> he's producing oh, a oh, really? he's producing a twelve disc set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's the end. Yeah. I like that. Sweet. That's you Dude, I have so many great ideas. ideas. Dude, I have yeah. a lot of fun. With yeah, that. let me know if I can help with anything else. Man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for listening to the Human Up podcast and my interview with my good friend Ryan Shirley. I'll link to his website uh, about resume building and resume consulting uh, at pursuitandtie.com. He offers a, a free strategy session on his website there. So if you are looking for a job or looking to transition or to um, just even just keep your resume up to date, make sure to, to reach out and take him up on that offer. So again, really appreciate you listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, had at least some takeaway from it. Either or, I do really want to hear about what this makes you think about or how this resonates with you or even you know maybe even any objections that you might have or other perspectives you can um, 
you can contribute, I'd, I'd really love to hear all, all types of feedback as I continue in, in my journey and developing my own EQ and, and, uh, even just how to provide value in a short, you know, hour or so in a podcast episode. So really want to hear what you think. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at underscore Victor Ong, or you can subscribe to my newsletter at victorong.com slash subscribe to get updates on these episodes as well as my blog. And with it, you'll get a free PDF of 11 exercises to jumpstart your own journey in emotional intelligence as well. So you can better expand and deepen your relationships with others and with yourself and to find more clarity and focus in what you want to do again victorung.com slash subscribe find me on instagram at underscore victorung and make sure you follow and subscribe and rate this podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening to or share it with someone who you think could benefit from hearing about the topics that we talk about Um, i would really appreciate that as well Um, just even spreading awareness and and helping others, um, you know, jumpstart their own journey as well. So thank you again for listening and I will catch you next Monday.